Let's look at the Word of God. Uh, just wanted to give you a little bit of a kind of an update, perhaps, and uh, walk through some of the things that God's doing. Um, we're going to look at Revelation 18 this morning, and it's, it's quite a chapter. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to getting to the millennium, figuratively and literally. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, it really does pertain to heaven and what God has for us. And in the midst of that, chapters 18 and 19, we begin to see the end of the tribulation taking place. And we're going to look at that uh, this morning. When I was in uh, Romania, I was 19 years old. I had gone with Liberty University, a group of pastors and students. There was about 80 of us. Uh, Romania had just, um, uh, Ceausescu had been kicked out, killed. And so Romania was in a season of transition as they uh, were free as a society. And I got to go over there. God led me to go back. And I went back as a student uh, with a very small team. And we went for three months and experienced Romania. And it was quite an experience. Love that place. Um, Just an amazing thing. When I got through the three months, I went and visited some family in Switzerland and then flew back to New York City. On my flight back to New York City, I I hadn't had desserts like we have, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I had gotten used to one meal a day in Romania because it was a time of transition and food was really scarce. We had gotten there in the fall, which was the harvest, and so the food was amazing. But as we got into the wintertime, all of a sudden, everything was gone because they canned stuff uh, for the winter and, and waiting for uh, some of the difficult times, the colder weather. So I had dropped down to like 170 pounds. My college co- baseball coach took one look at me and he said, what in the world did you do, you know? And so it was a challenging time. I want to tell you something. I was so excited to get back home to America. I, I can't even tell you. I I got out at LaGuardia Airport in New York City, and I went through customs, and I floated through customs. I looked at the customs official, and I was like, man, it's good to be home in America. That customs official didn't really know what to, you know, kind of smiled, all right, welcome home, whatever. I was saying hi to everybody, and we're talking New York City, you know, you don't normally do that. It was really cheesy, but it was pretty funny because I was just excited. I mean, I'm walking past people that looked like they had had pickle juice for breakfast, and I'm saying, God bless you, friend. It's so good to be home in America. (laughs) I got to uh, where I was supposed to catch my flight home from New York City, and it had been canceled, and I didn't even care. It was like, who cares? Who cares? I wanted to get down on the ground and kiss the ground, and it was New York City, so I didn't do that. I got a bus because I was going to get a bus home, so I caught uh, a transit bus from um, the airport to the bus station. And on the way, uh, we were at the airport, and I saw this lady, and she had literally about 30 boxes, 30 boxes. Gone shopping, I suppose. I don't know what she did. You know, I've never had 30 boxes in my life, but there they were. And I realized uh, she needed help. And so the bus driver was putting all these boxes in, and and so I got on the bus, and I knew uh, when we got off the bus, we're going to be at a a station in the middle of New York City, and it's like 11 o'clock at night, and so she was going to need some help. And I thought, well, I'll offer to help her. Remember, I'm, I'm up here. 
emotionally. I'm so pumped. I could have kissed everybody. This lady was sitting in two seats in front of me on the bus, on the way to the bus station, okay? And I kind of leaned forward and I said, ma'am? And she looked up, she kind of was a little startled. And I said, listen, I I saw all the boxes that you have and I know when we get off, you're gonna need some help. I'm willing to help you. I'll never forget this lady's response. She didn't yell, but she was vindictive and vicious. She looked at me and she says, I don't need your help. You stay away from me. The whole bus turns around and looks at me like I'm some kind of animal, you know? I sat back and I want to tell you something. That was such a pin in my wonderful getting home moment. And I... I just sat in my chair and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to bother you. And I sat back, it almost brought me to tears because when you're trying to be kind to somebody genuinely and they literally punch you for it, it's shocking, I'm 19. I sat back and I started praying, oh Lord, wow, that hurt, Uh, okay. And I'll tell you, it wasn't a voice. I didn't hear God speak to me. But it was as clear and crystal in my mind as as if he did. And he said, Eric, this isn't your home. This isn't your home. Your home's with me. (laughs) Now, folks, when we talk about how we relate to our home, There's balance in all of this, right? Because we love America and we support America. My goodness, we love the military and we thank God for this country and that, amen, all that. But fundamentally, we are citizens of where? Heaven. And we talk about being citizens of heaven. What does that look like? What, what is it that we're about? How is it that we are showing forth our citizenship with honor and, in a sense, in a good way, pride that God is our God. The Lord is our Lord. See, chapter 18 in Revelation is all about, in effect, the end of the tribulation where the Antichrist has come in and taken over. If you remember chapter 17, he has, in, the Antichrist has taken out the harlot, which is the false religious system. And he has taken over that religious system, and that probably takes place in the middle of the tribulation. And then the last part of the tribulation, what we see is that the Antichrist with the false prophet and obviously Satan as this unholy trinity begin to rule over the entire world. And they not only do it from a religious standpoint, they also do it from a political and economic standpoint. They are in authority. They are in control, so much so that if you don't get their stamp of a approval, the 666, that you're not going to participate in their economy. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord, you're going to get killed for it. And so chapter 18 really becomes a picture of the secondary falling of Babylon, which is the economic and the political system being destroyed. Because God is over this. And there's an end 
to it. And as you read through Revelation 18 and you begin to see the different aspects of what is taking place here, something that I believe comes out very clearly is that believers are in the world, but we shouldn't be of it. Believers are in the world, but we shouldn't be of it. We're here. We're lights. Our citizenship is with the Lord in heaven. This isn't ultimately our home. Our home is with the Lord. And as a result, we walk according to his laws. We walk according to his righteousness. And as a result, we better be very careful about how ingrained and immersed into this world system that we actually become. Walford puts it this way, it seems that chapter 17 deals with the religious aspect and chapter 18 with the political and economic aspects of Babylon. And he goes on and he says this, there are a number of reasons for believing that chapter 18 is a subsequent event, meaning that it comes after, though described in similar terms. It may be concluded that the destruction of the harlot in chapter 17 is the fall of Babylon in its ecclesiastical or its religious sense. And that it probably occurs when the beast assumes the role of God at the beginning of the great tribulation. So you have this picture at the middle of the tribulation where the Antichrist literally takes out the world religion and takes it over for himself. But then he goes through the last three and a half years of the tribulation and he rules economically and politically. He breaks uh, trust with Israel, obviously. The abomination of desolation takes place at the middle of the tribulation. And so chapter 17 is probably about the religious aspects of the, the Antichrist taking over and chapter 18 about the political and the economic takeover and rule. It's worldwide in scope. It's about all the nations. And in the midst of this chapter, what you'll see is that the nations have so intertwined with Babylon, which is a literal city, but it also stands for all that is anti-God. It is a geopolitical system ruled by the Antichrist, and all are impacted as a result of the immorality that takes place. The destruction of Babylon is sudden as the Lord puts an end to the Antichrist's rule and to rebellion within this earth. The kings mourn and the merchants mourn. So let me give you four things this morning as we look at this. First of all, believers are to worship the Lord alone. Now, we all know that, don't we? I mean, if I came up to you and said, are you supposed to worship anything else but Christ? Are you supposed to worship anything else but the Lord? Are you supposed to worship anything else but God? I, I guarantee everybody here would go, oh, no, absolutely not. We're supposed to worship the Lord alone. But you know, it's interesting how 1 John closes his epistle. What does he say? Little children, guard yourselves from what? Idols. Idols. Idolatry is alive and well. <laughs> we get that, right? And it's very easy to begin to have idols. Anything that saps your energy, anything that saps your emotion, anything that you're invested into, and all of a sudden you're spending all your time on this. 
And if it's taken away, you're miserable. Maybe a warning that that's an idol in your life. Now, I know that I joke around about the Cowboys a lot, right? And I really do love watching the Cowboys, and I am a Cowboy fanatic. That's what fan means. It's okay. But I want you to know this, honestly. If I never watched another Cowboy game the rest of my life, it'd be okay. Because it's not my life. It's not my life. Christ is my life. See, if you can't say Christ is your life, and if you can't say that if something's taken away out of your life that you'd be okay because you have everything that you need in Christ Jesus, that he is your life, that he's your righteousness, that because you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, that your citizenship is in heaven, you, something may be off. Believers are to worship the Lord alone. John says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And some have kind of thought, well, maybe this is the Lord Jesus Christ because of the language that is being used here. And I disagree with that because of the language that's being used here, namely one word. It says another. And that word literally means another of the same kind. Catch that. So what we're talking about is chapter 17, there was an angel that gave this declaration. And now, in, in, excuse me, in chapter 17, and then chapter 18, what he's saying is another angel, meaning another angel, meaning another one of the same kind. This can't be the Lord Jesus Christ. He obviously has this angel, great power, great authority, and it's given to him because of the task that he has in terms of Babylon and the decree that he is making regarding Babylon. He's a mighty angel. He's great power in order to fulfill God's will. In verse 2, he cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passions of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Immorality here is not just sexual sin, although that is certainly a part of false doctrine. Anytime you see false doctrine, you're going to see sexual immorality. No question. But what we're talking about here is a picture of idolatry. Rather than worshiping the one true God, they're worshiping the Antichrist and his system. Whether it's political, whether it's economic, whether it's religious. And as a result of this immorality, this idolatry, if you will, there is sensual living. There is wealth that is being used in excess there's wealth that's being used in a way that God never intended. It's being spent on self rather than helping and blessing others. I was uh, camping on my own one time out on the Magian Rim. You all know where I'm talking about? Um, I think it's west of Sholo, if I've got that right. And it's before you go down the rim to get to Payson. I think I'm right on that. Beautiful area. Right? We found a little lake back there, uh, Wood Canyon Lake. Anybody ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Wood Canyon Lake? Wow, you need to gotta get, you gotta get out. You know, have you been there? You've seen it with your sister. Amen. It's beautiful, isn't it? I ain't lying about that. It's gorgeous. 
And so I went up there, I think it was like in October, it was right before the campground closed, freezing cold during the night, but it was gorgeous during the day. And uh, what was really funny, when I got, when I got there, the camp, uh, uh, whatever the guy is, the director is not the director, but he stays there through the summer. They had extended the time that the camp was open because there was no snow. And so I get there, and he welcomed me, and I paid my $10 thing for, you know, the night or whatever. And he told me something. He said, now, watch out for the ravens. And I thought, okay, whatever. So I get into my campground, and I do my thing, and I got my tent all up, and I love cooking over a fire, and so I'm cooking over a fire, and I'm doing all my thing, and I took all my stuff over to the, the picnic table, and I put it all out nice and neat, and everything's ordered, and uh, you know my food just oh smells good, and I'm a little worried about bears, but I figured it's cold enough, and bears, God bless them, you know, whatever. And uh, so I go back over here to the fire, and I hear this, I mean, it was weird, right? The trees, you got the pine tree. You can hear all this stuff. I'm like, what was that? And I look over and I'm going, what? <laughs> and there's ravens everywhere. These stupid birds, they're huge. And they're coming in from all angles that you could possibly think of from the woods. And some of them were crows. And, and man, I ran over here and I'm like, get out of here, you know? And I, boom, off they go up into the trees. And I'm looking around and it was like a horror movie. There's all these eyes staring at me from the trees, all these birds. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are these people? And then, you know, I'm reminded what the guy, watch out for the ravens. So I had to be careful about that. It's interesting because here, what he's talking about is the demonic element. And these birds are being used kind of as a picture of how Babylon has been infiltrated demonically. They're everywhere. You've got to watch out for them. They're all over the place. The whole place has been, in effect, infested. Every unclean spirit, that which is demonic, it's unclean. Every kind of hateful bird. And the picture is that it is infested demonically with all the things that the Antichrist is lifting up as if it were good. Again, quoting from Walvoord, I think it's interesting because this statement, fallen, fallen is Babylon, very well may be the two separate stages that take place, one of which was the ecclesiastical or uh, the harlot, and the second is the political and the economic system. The world church is destroyed in favor of a world religion honoring the political dictator, the beast out of the sea of chapter 13 infested with every kind of evil thing. Folks, when we talk about how believers are to walk, not only in our day, but obviously during that period of time, we are to worship the Lord alone because we are in the world, but we're not, what? Of it. We're not of it. But secondly, believers are to walk in righteous deeds. Believers are to walk in righteous deeds. Because what's the opposite? Unbelievers walk in unrighteousness, right? But unbelievers call that which is evil good. They twist it. Anti-Christ. That which is against Christ. Contrary. False. We're hearing that word a lot these days, aren't we? 
the, the truth of the matter is in the midst of all of this, what we're talking about is when we recognize that we are in Christ, that we are in the world, but we're not of it. When we recognize that we are to worship the Lord alone, that we also recognize that we are to walk in his righteousness, meaning his good works, that which is according to his standard. And folks, I want to encourage you and remind you in this, we can plan that out all day long. We can even get a whole list out of the New Testament, but unless the Holy Spirit of God in us empowers us to do that, it's not going to happen. Not the way that God can make it happen. We're talking about following God, empowered by him through his grace in order to accomplish his goodness and that which he is alone capable of doing. In verse four, I heard another voice from heaven saying, and again, this is an angel, it's another of the same kind. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she is paid and give back to her double according to her deeds and the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. And to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow and will never see mourning. What's that called, folks? Spiritual pride. Right? That's called pride. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Wow. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven. Sins are just the expression of a heart that is unyielding and unsurrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ for who he really is, who's the true God, the true king, and as a result, the activity that takes place in rebellion against him. It's the deeds of the flesh, if you will. See, believers are to walk in righteous deeds. We're to walk by the Holy Spirit, by his power, and the fruit of his spirit in and through us is what? Is love. And Paul says that against love there is no what? Law. Why? Because love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, if I'm yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ saying yes to him, then God in me begins to transform me and he begins to lead and empower me. His love begins to be produced through me in a way that is very tangible in the midst of the activities that can be seen through my life. And that's called righteousness. That's called goodness. That's called according to God's standards. But it takes God in us to accomplish that. It's not us just waking up in the morning creating a checklist. It's God who has to do this. When we yield to him, then we get to experience him. And we get to experience his power and his strength and his transforming ability. And it will be seen in our activity. Praise God. Believers are to walk in righteous deeds. Why? Because we may be in the world, but we're not of it. We may be in the world, but we're not of it. 
Well, believers are not only to worship the Lord alone and to walk in his righteous deeds, but we're also to recognize God's ownership of everything. Verses 9 uh, through 19 are all about how the kings of the earth and the merchants and even those who were helping with the cargo and the ships and the sailors begin to mourn because of the destruction that they see of Babylon. Not only, as I believe, a, a literal city, but also in a figurative sense of how it has wrapped its tentacles into every aspect of world life. The economic and political power, and you can see this as the kings who committed acts of immorality. In other words, they have idolatry here, live sensuously with her. They will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. When Babylon is taken out and this economic and political stronghold of the Antichrist is taken out by God himself, then what happens? The kings of the earth begin to weep and to mourn. In verses 9 through 10, you can see that. The merchants of the earth begin to weep and mourn due to the lack of money and due to the, the wealth that they're no longer going to have the opportunity of not only making, but also having for themselves. And you can see that in verses 11 and following. Gold and silver, and even including slavery, will no longer be purchased due to Babylon and the system being destroyed. Verse 15, it reiterates that the merchants of these things will weep and mourn. Verse 17, even the shipmasters and sailors begin to weep and mourn as they realize the source of their wealth has come to an end. See, they're, they're so ingrained into the system. What has really taken over? Rather than worshiping the one true God and recognizing that God owns everything and everything is ultimately his, including us, they begin to worship the power and they begin to worship the wealth and when they see Babylon taken out by God himself, they begin to weep and mourn because everything about them has been twisted and turned into and placed into such a way that they worship this power and this wealth. And as a result, they begin to weep and they begin to mourn. Wearsby puts it this way, this judgment has come because the Babylonian system has polluted the whole world. As in the judgment of the harlot, the sin is that of fornication or idolatry. The system intoxicated the people of the world with all the riches and pleasures it had to offer. It catered to those who were lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Quoting out of 2 Timothy 3.4, which we certainly see in these end days. How invested are we into the world's system to where we define everything based on the world's way of thinking. We've gotten so wrapped up into the material that we forget we're called to worship the Lord and everything is literally owned by God. My goodness, where do we get our joy from? Where do we, where do we get our pleasure from? Now, I love chocolate, but I'm telling you, if you took it away from me, I'd be okay. Why? Because the Lord is our life. We can enjoy the things that God created. Amen. Praise the Lord. He created it for us to enjoy. But when the created things become more important than the creator, we better watch out for that. Amen? That's where we got to say, oh, Lord, give us grace. Help us to walk in your ways 
Because as the people of God, we may be in the world, but we're not of it, and we don't walk according to the same drumbeat. We recognize that everything belongs to the Lord. And literally, if it were all taken away, guess what? We still have the Lord Jesus Christ. We still have the Lord, which means we have everything. (laughs) Amen? Well, lastly, believers are to rejoice in God's justice. In verse 20, there's a command given here, and I think it's interesting. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And we go through this list in verses 21 and following, this picture given of a great millstone thrown into the sea, which is a picture of how Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down. And in this city, there's not going to be the sound of music any longer. There's not going to be all the different things that we equivocate with life and goodness because it's, it's been wiped out. Verse 24, the interesting statement is, in the midst of all this music playing and all this living life as if everything's well and good and, and everything's comfortable and all things are, are okay, we get this verse, in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Wow, what a facade. You catch it? What a facade. In the midst of it, it looks as if everything's good and healthy and wonderful and everybody's blessed But the real reality of it is there are murderers. They hate God. They hate God's people. And as a result, the Lord brings judgment, but the Lord also tells his people to rejoice. Now, what are we rejoicing about? Are we rejoicing about the downfall of somebody? No, we're rejoicing about what? God's justice. God is just. God is just. He's good in all his ways. He's righteous and he's holy. And he will bring judgment because he's fair, because he's just. Again, from Wearsby, God's people must not delay in separating themselves from this evil system because God's judgment will come suddenly and Babylon will be destroyed in a single day. In one day, the entire economic empire will collapse, but those who have their citizenship in heaven will rejoice at the judgment of God. (laughs) Can we say that today? How invested are we into the world's system, in the world's thinking, the world's way? It starts with our belief systems in terms of what we recognize to be true about God from his word. And the question is, are we walking in that? And are we saying yes to the Lord? Are we worshiping the one true God? Are we walking in such a way that our joy and our life is him? Or are we walking in such a way that in the midst of it all, We've become so entwined with the things of the world that we have gotten our focus off the most important things, which are the spiritual things. And we have maybe need of being reminded of God is the, is the Lord. He's the king. All things are for him. He owns all things. We want to walk in his righteous deeds. We want to walk with him and experience him. How are we planning for heaven? We spend so much time planning for earth, don't we? We got all our 401ks, we got all our stuff, and I get it, amen. You got to do that. I'm not saying don't do that. But what I am saying is, what's the most important thing? 
And I would suggest that that's the Lord, and I would suggest that's his kingdom and citizenship with him and his family and walking with him, trusting him.